I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, dear listener, whoever you are and wherever you are. Welcome to episode number six of The Pursuit Pod. I'm Lauren Wood, and this is where I chat with artists abroad about the pursuit of their creative careers. And on today's episode, I got to chat with a pal who I met way back in Australia when we did a production of Rent together. She got to play the awesome lead role of Mimi, and uh, I got to play homeless person number three. (laughs) But we had a blast back then and also when we got to do this interview. I've always wanted to sit down with the beautiful Steffi De Silva to hear her journey of how she managed to get all the way from Uruguay to Brisbane. So we did. And I tell you what, folks, this conversation brings up some deeply personal and extremely important chats surrounding vocal health and the unnecessary stigma that artists face when experiencing and recovering from surgery. We also confront the issue of diversity in casting in Australia and how perhaps just a lack of knowledge and understanding has caused issues for the Brisbane scene in the past. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. This is such an important conversation for many reasons. Again, the subject of mental health and the performance industry arose. Funny how that keeps coming up. And also the existential question we inevitably ask ourselves as artists abroad. Am I moving towards something? Or am I running away from something? So settle in, fam, and please forgive the Wi-Fi gremlins that caused a little bit of audio glitchiness at times throughout the chat. It really is a great listen, and it's great to have you back. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hello! Hello. (laughs) Welcome, Steffi, to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. Like I said, I've been like sat in front of my laptop for the past half an hour being a sack of nerves. <laughs> it's it's nerve wracking um, just having to listen to your own voice like yeah. this on this kind of platform. I've found it's not something that we have to do very often in our work. No, definitely not. And not when your accent is a mess like mine. <laughs> Mate. Let's do you know what? Let's talk about accents for a second because I cop shit every other day from my Aussie friends now telling me I sound too posh. Yeah. And my British friends who just sort of look at me sideways sometimes and don't have a clue what I sound like. Yeah. No, it's crazy. Accents are definitely a source of pain for me. My accent has gone through like a million different stages. And people think you do it on purpose as well. You do not, it's not on purpose. It's just all the mind fuck you've gone through of places and people and humans <laughs> it is it doesn't it doesn't happen on purpose I did have one occasion a funny story actually when I was first starting work here in London I got a job hosting pub quizzes yeah 
which was fabulous, 40 pounds for an hour and a half's work at a different pub every night of the week. It was really, really fun. But within my first couple of gigs, I had an interaction with a customer who was so, so rude to me Mm. and basically made it his personal vendetta throughout the event to mock me and copy my accent really, really rudely. Like I've I've got thick skin, but he was extremely rude to me and just made me, I left that gig feeling really, really self-conscious. And and I also had an audition coming up at the time, a self-tape I had to film in a British accent for something. Mm. And I said to myself, right, you were going to use these pub quizzes as a way to practice your British accent. Yeah, that's (laughs) such a good um, idea. From then on, every time I walked into a pub, I started putting on this British accent and every every person who worked with me at these pubs, I, I'm, I'm proud to say I reckon they fully believed that I was a British person. That's and, amazing. Uh, because I needed to give myself an opportunity to mm. practice my accent in a more high stakes situation. Yeah. No, that's really um, clever. That's a really good idea. I became, I became quite good at it. But then I went through a muddy phase where I really was slipping into this more British sound more than I wanted to. Mm. And since starting my work down south and having to do more hosting type mm. work, I've just learned that actually the sound that I have is really unique mm. and it's really interesting to people over here who don't get to hear my voice every day. And I've been actively this past year trying to drop any of yeah. those tendencies that keep yeah. creeping in. As you say, I, we don't do it on purpose, but it's funny. Accents assimilate yeah. just on their own. Yeah, and I think from for like singers and musicians, anyone who's got an ear for having to listen and copy, I think it's even it's even worse. It, the accent yeah. really sticks. Yeah, so I'm glad I'm not the only one that's, that's no. gone through that. <laughs> oh, and Steffi, I'm so thankful to have the chance to reconnect with you and yeah. to realise that we are now both in London. We that's are. an opportunity. We'll, we have to take advantage of that when restrictions ease. Oh, my God, yes. At the minute, it's four walls. But, um, yeah, we need to go and have a drink and, and, and talk about these past, what is it, what's been like two, three years, three years? Yeah, it was, uh, we met. Uh, way back on over on the other side of the world in Brisbane doing a production together, which we'll get to later on, because you, Steph, have actually done a lot of travelling over the past decade, roughly, for both work and life reasons, it seems. And I'm really interested to hear about this journey that you've been on and how it all began, because you're originally from Uruguay, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm from Montevideo in Uruguay, which is... Um, Uruguay is quite a small country as in population wise there's maybe three three and a half million I think it is at the minute and most of them um most of us live in the capital so yeah I I moved from there when I was 18. And I mean I'll be completely honest here I know nothing of the performance scene in Uruguay is there much work back home for to be honest I I'm embarrassed to say that I don't know much about it because I left I never tried to have a career there and um and I regret it now massively because there is a lot of of TV and film that's coming from Uruguay, which is really, really good. And we've got Argentinian musical theatre scene and there's a lot of really strong actors in Uruguay. But yeah, I never, I left, I, and I left really young and, I, and I've never, I never went back for a long period of time. So, I mean, I'm, yeah, sad that I never got to experience that scene, but it's on my bucket list. And I mean, it's one of the beautiful benefits of our industry is that you're never too old to go 
back into film or go back to a country where you want to try your hand at working in a different scene. So there's always the option of going back there for you, I guess. But what made you? Well, low-key, like, I'm so embarrassed. The only... (laughs) What stops me from going back mostly and attempting to do anything there is my accent in Spanish is whack now. Like, it's awful. It's so bad. I sound quite English. Well, to to my friends, because I've just been away for so long. And I had a Colombian boyfriend for quite a while. So then my my Uruguayan Spanish kind of mixed with this... Colombian twang and then all these places I've been to like my Spanish is just it's horrendous like I get tongue-tied as much as I do in English anyway but um and ultimately all of those lovely interesting ingredients in your life have have formed a very unique sound but as you say it's not quite the sound that people would expect (laughs) and I understand it makes you self-conscious yeah definitely um but so why did you leave in the first place I always knew that I wanted to travel I always knew I wanted to go somewhere I knew I wanted to study something and because my dad's English so I I've got that English passport it was the easy answer looking back on it I've always been a person who very much runs away (laughs) I try to to find things and I try to I, I think for a long time I relied on moving and removing situations to find myself or find my purpose or whatever you want to call it but at the time it was to study I wanted to study musical theatre and London was an amazing place to do it and I had the passport so it was a bit of a no-brainer for me and you had a passport because your dad is English yes because my dad's English yeah so both Mm -hmm. me and my sister both have British and Uruguayan passports yeah handy yeah I mean now I feel like the the Uruguayan is probably more handy than my English one and I mean you say you say running away but I guess you could always Mm. banner that a little bit differently and say you were Mm. starting again I I get that feeling when I move from job to job or place to place there's yeah I don't know it's a really fun thing to feel like you can start with a fresh slate somewhere and I think it's quite addictive as well absolutely it's definitely quite addictive. What a reset and fresh start for you to move over to a country yeah. and jump straight into a course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I moved like three three months before I started my course. I got into LSMT, which is an elephant castle here. And I moved three months before sort of to like reset myself. And I just remember that first day that I arrived in London and I moved to New Cross Gate, which at the time was so different to what it is now what have you been there are you kidding me eh? Steph that's where I lived when I when I was in really London. yeah ah! <laughs> I, we started in Mile End in a share house but then Will and I moved to New Cross yeah. just down the road from the New Cross oh I love it there it's amazing it's so good and and okay so your course was at Elephant and yeah. Castle so not too much no, of a distance it was like there. 15 minute bus drive so it was great and I mean I was obsessed with it like I was obsessed with London I still am I love London just the lifestyle and especially like somewhere like New Cross it was just so different to anything I'd ever experienced in Uruguay I was like hooked <laughs> yeah New Cross and that Deptford area is so multicultural and bustling and it's it's got that market down the main street of Deptford that happens a few times a week and that just sums the place up I think Caribbean women standing on the corner of the street selling their goods screaming about God getting you in like there's an atmosphere about that place that reminds you every day that you are not 
you were not at home anymore yeah yeah no it was it was amazing and I always felt quite comfortable as well like in in that environment because it it still felt quite Latin to me and then I moved to Peckham which was quite nice as well I, I did enjoy Peckham but going into drama school was scary and so different but I was I just, I was just set on it. I was so obsessed. It was all I wanted. What made you choose LSMT? I don't know much about that course. Was it just acting? I applied to a lot of schools and that was one of the ones that accepted me. And what I liked from what they what they talked about was because I I, you know, as much as I was a singer and, and an actor, but I wasn't a strong dancer. So LSMT focused on sort of creating these more leads and, you know, more unique and different performers. If you weren't a triple threat, you would feel more, I don't know, it, it really resonated with me. It was something that I felt that I could do. And everyone who was in that course was just so unique and different. And it just felt, it felt like the right place to be. Oh, it was the best time. Especially having uprooted yourself so young, I think, yeah, to spend a couple of years in a course before diving into the industry head first, that's a nice way of weaning yourself into it, not to mention gaining the skills need but how how long did that course go for and then what happened from there it was a year's it was a year's course and then after that I got my first agent and I just started auditioning and had a lot of (laughs) failure (laughs) as we all do and had a lot of existential crisis and still continue to but yeah eventually sort of got work and started traveling with it most of my work was normally abroad always I always felt like it always take me somewhere new And then I just caught that bug of not wanting to sit still for too long. Yeah, because you seemed to get stuck right into the holiday industry and that kind of work. Yeah, yeah. hard already, but that's an aspect of work that doesn't exist back in Oz. There's a lot of it here. So where where did you start there? My first job that I got was the show team in Mallorca, and so it was like touring shows, tiny little stages. It was four of us with like all these costumes we had to carry all our stuff and we had to do like all the hard like it was crazy but it was it was amazing first experience because I just got to live on this incredible island for I think it was six or seven months and just be an independent adult being a mess really I just got to be a bit of a mess like I was a bit of a mess to be honest but um you live and learn Absolutely. And that kind of work, touring work uh, in, on a small scale like that, when you're part of a little team who are running it all, like it's very character building. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think it also teaches you a lot about how to function in a, in a close knit creative group like that. Like you can't be egotistical. You, you can't be lazy. Everyone's pulling their, their own weight. How did you get along with everybody there? I always found that with all these contracts that I've done, because I've been relocating so much and I've always... I've never been in the same place for too long. I've always felt like I, that would be my life. Once I was there, that would be my family. Those would be my people. Like those would be my friends and family. So I would just fully immerse myself in that. And, you know, looking back on different contracts in different places, I get the sense of all these a million different lifestyles because every contract that you do, every circle you're in, you're fully there. and, And that's your family. That's, that's your people. So all these people have been like incredibly important in your life. Like to this day, when I see people that I've lived with for like seven months. Yeah, you do really make a family with with fellow performers when you're on contracts like that. And I mean, something that 
is hard to come to terms with then is also having to move away from them, sometimes creating these very, very intense family-like relationships with your fellow cast members and then having to say goodbye to each other at the end of six months or whatever the length of that contract is. Yeah, I think that starts to take a toll after a while, or at least I did. I've, and I've gone through two phases of that. One, which is, and this is not the nice phase, is um, feeling like you can't open up with people because you're just going to open up to then that's just going to reset itself and and then you're not going to be around them. And I've definitely gone through that. And then the other side is like you just get used to to people going. Yeah, and it's a lesson you have to learn if you're a performer that travels a lot that it's okay to let people come and go in and out of your life. And I think especially in our early 20s and when we've come from school where we've been able to carry a group of friends with us for, you know, I'm, I'm speaking a bit generally here that everyone's experience is different, but generally speaking, we stay in these institutions as children until we've reached 16 or 18 or where, wherever it is. And we get to carry these people with us for quite a long time. And then we start traveling and going on contracts and there can be a level of guilt with not staying oh in touch with people, which is sometimes just extremely difficult because when you're in different parts of the world, there's things like time difference to take into account. But it's hard to learn to not guilt yeah. yourself about maintaining yeah. all of these hundreds of yeah. relationships that you build over the course of contracts because it's okay to let people come and go throughout your life and to let them bring that value that they have into your life for that period of time and then yeah it's hard. it's hard and I have to say I'm absolutely awful at it I'm I'm so bad I I one million percent have like a social phobia but I am terrible with keeping in touch with anyone and I mean you can be my life but I I don't know what it is something possesses me that I just I I can't I don't know what it is. I can't do it. So that makes that side of life quite hard for me. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you, you say you say that in a way that's like it's almost you don't quite mm. understand that behavior within mm. yourself. But you also mentioned that there's that little part of you, whether you're really, really conscious of this or not, there's that little part of you that is protecting yourself because you are going to move away and you're not going to have that support from that person you know I think that can definitely be yeah. a huge yeah. trigger to be honest yeah that I think that's probably massively what it is um because I you know I left home I moved halfway across the world when I was 18 and having grown up with the same people having the same friends having my family having everything and then losing it I think it was so incredibly painful I couldn't even process it at the time and to this day, if I think back on it, you know, my life was never the same after I set foot on on that plane. Like my family and my friends, my roots were ripped up. Yeah, it, they were gone from my day to day. And, and, and that's a lot of it. So one million percent, that is probably a lot of it. It has been something I've discussed a lot, um, is that I think having felt that my roots rip under me it has been really hard to connect with people after that because it is very painful but that's a fault that I have that I have to work on I am fully aware but it does you know creep in <laughs> and luckily we have work that is incredibly creatively and emotionally fulfilling when we do it so that I don't know that can sometimes fill a bit of a void but it, it's, it doesn't make it easier yeah. Yeah. um where did you go then from from Mallorca from New York, I came back here, um, back to London, and then I started auditioning again 
I had like a few knockbacks, which really, really just sort of slapped me in the face quite hard. So I went through, I, you know, I, I have issues with mental health, like a lot of performers do. Um, I struggle with depression and anxiety. When I came back, I was in quite a toxic relationship when I was in New York. Plus coming back to London and going back into auditioning and not being in a great space. I, I got cast in this West End show that was then cancelled. And it just I just sort of spiralled a little bit and had a few knockbacks. Anyway, a very, very amazing human friend um, who was a choreographer in Mallorca and who clearly had realised that I was sort of losing a bit of direction, did actually saved my life and he cast me in this um in this show that was in Cyprus and that was how I got back into performing after like maybe a year and a bit of of being a little bit lost and yeah so I went to Cyprus for nine months and I lived on Aphrodite Hills which was uh, amazing <laughs> I mean if that's not just a little bit of medicine for your mental health there some sunshine and beaches but it's beautiful over there and there's a lot of work holiday work for performers there again like this ho- the holiday work that that you find in Europe is is incredible and it's it's I think a lot of drama schools and a lot of people can sometimes be a bit eh about it and to be honest it's where I've learned the most because you learn these social skills you learn how to work in really tough environments you you learn so much about and you're on holiday like you're on permanent holiday isn't it's insane you can you know you can be in a west end show in your 30s i think it's fine to do amen i i agree with that completely and also if you're sitting around waiting for the west end to call and it's not exactly. then the holiday industry and your your skills are just going to diminish your anxiety is going to build your feelings of self-worth are going to suffer and and the holiday industry provides work for people that is not main stage but that provides full-time employment and it's good quality stuff but there's there's some really really freaking good stuff out there and and oh my god like one thing i i learned after after a few of this I mean, and most of us feel this, is we want to work. You want to work. You want to remote. You want to do what you're good at. And who are you to say what's good and what's not and what's worthy and what's not? That that conception of what you should be doing and what you should be, that's not real. That's some ego-based horrendous stuff that's just going to limit you and not allow you to enjoy whatever it is you are doing. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. I had I had a friend ask me the other day, he said, Lauren, what do you want out of your career? Where do you see yourself? And I really had to stop and think because I've not had to think about that question in a really long time, especially because I've been, I'm on a full-time contract at the moment. Mm. I feel more blessed than I have Mm. in years. I feel very looked after. But ultimately my answer was, I just want to create a sustainable life for myself as a performer. I don't want to burn out after not getting contract after contract after contract and feel like I have no choice but to retrain and go into something else. I want to be able to have a family if I choose to do so and not sacrifice my career. And if that means that working in the holiday industry is an option, then uh, yeah, I think there's too much too much poo-pooing of, of holiday work. There is a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that. And no, I, I couldn't agree with what you say more. But I have to say, like, as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old graduate, I was definitely poo-pooing on my own work. I was like, yeah, which is so dumb, so dumb, because 
the talent that you see in those auditions as well, the level of talent of people, it's, this is an industry that's completely overpopulated. So anyway, it, it does infuriate me. I think it infuriates me because I was that person <laughs> that was like, yeah. Eh. And no, yeah, we've all been that. Person. We've all been that person from time to yeah. time, I think. Yeah. But yeah, it's a really stable and lucrative industry and providing a lot of work for performers. And dare I say it, more often than not from the people I speak to, I know a lot of female performers who who are working in it because talking about the saturation of the industry, there are just too many women here. There are too many women. And I've had to remind myself listening to a few of the interviews I've been doing this week and especially some of the men I've been speaking to who I love and their interviews are awesome. Their stories are incredible, but I can't compare my career to them. No, it's different. And uh, yeah, yeah, holiday work's been a savior for me. So, and for you, after Cyprus, where did you head from there? Um, after Cyprus, I got a, I, uh, I did a show called The World of Musicals, which was like touring in Germany. Yeah, in Germany. Uh, but we did rehearsals in Ireland, so it was quite fun. I did that for like three months. And then after that, I did, I had a contract with Princess Cruises, which was amazing. That's probably one of my highlights. Oh. And that this is your first cruise contract here, yeah. yeah? That was my first and only cruise contract, which I'm so annoyed at. I want to do another one. And when is this going to open up again? That was the most incredible thing I've ever done. I, I loved it. I could do that for the rest of my life. Easy. I find it scary that I could do that for the rest of my life. Hands down, easy, no worries. It's not for everybody. So that that's that says something about you and your personality. And uh, I mean, how long was that contract? Nine months, I think. I'm really bad with dates and like remembering periods and stuff. I think it was around <laughs> nine months. But everything about being on a cruise ship doing shows is just everything I loved. It's the people from all over the world. We're all little like lost souls trying to find a family and like that sounds like I had a miserable life that's not what I meant (laughs) but we're all people that are like are just thirsty for travel and like connection and meeting new things and new experiences and yeah and like people from all over the world it was insane I got to feel like my roots again because they'd always be like maybe Uruguayan there there'd be Argentinians Mexicans Brazilians people from all over I just it was amazing uh, and um you you're working as a vocalist on ship yeah 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 I was working yeah I was working for nine months that's I mean that's not a short contract how did you go sustaining yourself vocally physically mentally over the course of that I know you say you're having you had a lot of fun you did a yeah you really clicked with that contract yeah. but I mean nine months at sea in a little yeah. cabin can sometimes be very yeah. challenging in in ways that you don't expect yeah I I for me my my biggest fear was always what am I going to do next where's like my home going to be next because and I think this has been an issue um you know probably something that if I went back I I would have tried to do differently because like I said I left home when I was 18 and I never really created a foundation after that so I sort of hopped from job to job from place to place from country to country um circle of people to circle of people and I always used to get this horrible anxiety towards the end of a a contract where I was like where am I gonna go now what am I gonna do now like where's where's my home gonna be now um so I I didn't struggle I could have I would have happily stayed on that ship 
for another. Did you year. have the opportunity to audition for Princess? It was Princess Cruises that you were on, wasn't it? Did you have an? Yeah, did- yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't. I auditioned. I sent a showreel, and I got very lucky, and I, and I heard back very quickly. But when I left Princess Cruises, I took a little bit of a break because my sister convinced me to go on holiday with her. What? Um, I mean, what? You had a real life outside of performing? I I genuinely had a real life, which is crazy. Well, after that, I moved to, because I had this little crisis of what am I going to do? My dad at that point had left Uruguay um, and he'd moved to Switzerland, to Zurich. So I, yeah, I, I decided to go there. My sister was in between places because she's a bit of a nomad as well. She had left Uruguay when she was 18. She moved to New Zealand and then she ended up in Australia and then her visa expired. So she had to go back and she decided to, to try Switzerland. So she went to Switzerland. So we had this period of like three months where me and my dad and my sister were living in Switzerland, which we hadn't lived together because my parents are divorced. We hadn't lived together since like we hadn't lived with my dad since we were like since I think I was like 17 or 16 so that was mental <laughs> there was a lot of alcohol involved <laughs> but it was a really good time um yeah and like we always remember that time as being incredible um so yes yeah, so I was there for a bit and then my sister convinced me to go to go on holidays with her she wanted to go back to Australia to visit her friends so I went to Australia because I had some friends there which then turned out to be very 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 good friends and I ended up um being with my ex-partner there who was sort of connected with the ship and I lived an amazing life in Australia. So Oz came soon after this cruise contract. That was kind of the next leg, leg of your step, was it? Yeah, kind of. I Like I said, I went to Switzerland and we went on holiday to Australia. The day uh, when we were in Australia, I went to visit one of my close friends and I met her brother. <laughs> and we fell for each other and it was all very, you know, emotions and intense and it was beautiful and it was real. And I was like, oh, well, you know, this holiday's done and I'm just going to leave and we're never going to see each other again. And on the day that I was leaving, the day I was leaving, I was at the airport. I got an email um, offering me a contract in Australia near where they lived for like four months. So I was like, that's like a sign if I've seen anything so I went back to Switzerland and I did whatever month I had left and then I did these rehearsals and ended up moving to Australia it just it really it worked out and I saw I I did think Australia was going to be my home for a very long time and then unfortunately yeah and so 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 when you when you came back to Oz then you had a job waiting for you you took did you take that contract you took that offer yeah I took the contract I did the contract um and then when I finished the contract I I ended up staying because I was happy there in a relationship and we wanted to see where it went and I had been like I said I'd been I had been craving a home and a family and a foundation not saying I don't have a family and a home but um you know, I met someone that I felt very strongly towards and, yeah, it just felt right at the time. Yeah, and uh, albeit a, re- a romantic relationship or not, that's still, that does become your family then. So it must have been nice for you to feel like, although you've uprooted yourself so heavily and your family are wherever they are across the, like, you, you've, you've got this new set of roots that are setting down Yeah, and it was, it was an absolute bit. saving grace and it was, it was what, what I 
been craving. Like I think after all the stress and anxiety that I I used to feel a lot of, you know, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Who? Da 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 da. Um, so how did um your visa situation work there? You would have been on a holiday visa at first. Yeah, yeah. I was on a holiday visa. Um, and then we did a partner visa. It was a very long process. Very very yeah. very tiring. Put a lot of strain as well on the relationship unfortunately (laughs) Mm. but for the time and at first it allowed you to come into this new country feel like you had a safe place and and then you were able to start exploring the Brisbane scene yes Yes, I discovered the Brisbane scene. <laughs> um, I didn't go looking for it too much because in my head I was thinking, you know, um, I'm just going to settle and, you know, have a family life and, you know, do that normality. But um, my mum came to visit me in, in Australia and she was like, um, you know, as lovely as this idea that you have of being a normal person living in the suburbs she was like this isn't you (laughs) you need to go and auditions for like a show or something because you know that life is amazing but it will kill you so go and like sort yourself out so I did (laughs) and I like started looking for work again that's so amazing (laughs) that your mum was able to give you that tough love I I think I think a lot of parents of performers uh, can Mm can tend towards the other direction of of encouraging yeah. them to settle down and do that sort of normal, in quotation mark, normal person life. So, I mean, what a fabulous mum. Yeah, no, nah, she's crazy. But no, nah, she can see straight through me. She's like, no, nah, you, you need to do something, honey. <laughs> so she encouraged you to keep it up. You yeah. were uh, finding auditions through yeah. Yeah, uh, throughout Brisbane. Yeah. However, you yeah. managed to do that. Yeah. I know it's no easy feat to do in Brisbane. Yeah. Find auditions. It was. I couldn't believe it. Like there's like three auditions a year or something ridiculous. Um, at the time, or like for me because I didn't have an agent, so I didn't really know how to find it accessible for me. There was like three auditions. That that was all like. Yeah, find. I mean we're lucky but, um, in the. Um, I, I'd say within the past decade we've had a nice rise of independent work in Brisbane. You know, we've got companies like Matt Ward Productions and uh, Brisbane mm. Immersive and Act React, just to name mm. a few. Woodward Productions are all people I know within my circle who have who have branched out and, and created companies and created work for Brisbane performers that is actually paying them because that's the, that's the problem with Brisbane is there's this culture of uh, like pro-am work, work which is is of an excellent standard and I cut my teeth in that realm for for many many years but there's yeah there's this trend for not paying performers for their time and casting it off as experience yeah, yeah. which a yeah. lot of people are happy to do because there's not enough work going around in Brisbane for them to be classing themselves as a full-time performer anyway so it's like any role they can get in any show is just a godsend but it's not great. Luckily, there's been, yeah, a number of production companies trying to combat that in recent years, Matt Ward Productions being one of them. And I know that's where you uh, fell into an audition yeah. for In the Heights. Yeah. Oh, God. Yes. That. I tend to always get jobs that get cancelled, man. Like every single thing I want to do will get pulled or cancelled. This was for good reason. <laughs> Let's just establish that. I won't go into huge yeah. detail about it basically because yeah. I, um, I I don't want to speak yeah. Yeah. Uh, incorrectly but basically um, 
you know, Australia, as much as it tries, is not the most multicultural mm. country. Mm. And a production of In the Heights was proposed to be put on in Brisbane. Mm. And although, and I literally have a quote from production company people here from an article about it where they talk about how 50% of the cast that was brought on board identified with ancestry other than Australian. So we had people of Samoan heritage, Italian descent, Uruguayan descent, Brazilian descent. There there was Mm -hmm. a smattering of cultural diversity within that production, which which made them feel that they could go ahead with it. But from the from the outside looking in, they were accused of whitewashing was the term. Um, whitewashing. And it was really yeah. sad to see because, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, this, this up-and-coming production company that are trying to provide work for performers have done the best they can to cast a as multicultural a cast as they can, basically just got panned to the point where they, they pulled it. Yeah. I mean, I think that was a very good thing that happened and it was a it was a very important learning curve for a lot of people even you know myself included because it's complicated yeah yeah no but also it's complicated because I um I think there's a lot that we all have to learn about casting and the problem with this cast was there was a sprinkle of a sprinkle of diversity and for a purely diverse show it was just not cut that was not Mm. that was not enough there was a lot of people that that identified fully white Australian portraying people of color and that's um yeah it was a it was a it's not it's not okay no it was a learning curve hard lesson yeah it was learning curve for everyone Uh, there was a lot of things that went down in conversations as well which were actually quite shocking from some people yeah probably shouldn't get into it (laughs) yeah and we we won't any further and it just it's you know perhaps it just stemmed from a lack of understanding a lack of understanding the full weight of the situation at hand and um I think problems like this arise from lack of knowledge and I think that showed how how little knowledge there was of some awareness to you know be diverse in the industry and to be respectful of other cultures and I think the biggest issue was the fact that the talent was there, the diverse, the diversity was there, but it somehow didn't seem to find itself presented. So, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I wanted to. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry I wanted it. to be very careful about broaching it, and uh, ultimately, mm. ultimately, it was just the wrong choice of production to be put on in in mm. Brisbane without a lot more diversity available. So. But as you say, this trend of having shows that are promising new work and then falling through, I mean, yeah. that that must have been really bloody annoying. That one was because uh, in the high. Because you were, you were cast as Vanessa. You were going to, it was going to uh... be your first lead role on the Brisbane scene, yeah? Yeah. It was more that show meant the world to me when I left home. And I got to London and I went into musical theatre at the time, 10 years ago. That you know, it was just petite blonde triple threats around me, and I just you know, and as as is, it's, I felt a little bit like a fish out of water. And I remember my um my headmaster being like, "Do you know in the Heights?" And I was like, "No, I don't know," because I don't know any. I didn't know anything then. I didn't know anything. And he was like, "Listen to this show," and I listened to the first 
song and I missed home and I missed my family. I just started crying. I was like, this show is everything. This is a sign. This is what I want to do. This is like, this is just everything. And Vanessa as well is just, that role is insane. And I love her and I feel so related to that character um, I hope you get the chance yeah. to to play it again someday that'd be a nice way of closing that <laughs> be so nice. put that out there yeah. in the universe to anyone listening casting a production of In the Heights right now <laughs> give this girl a call take anything. so yeah devastating uh, not only just mm. for you but for the whole Brisbane community uh, to experience mm. that really dramatic backlash but Matt Ward have continued to grow since then they've given me work I think they're fabulous in what they're doing and they um they pivoted and they got their next production up and running which was Rent yeah which and it's you know it's a a credit to your own uh, your own skills and talent that you landed the role of Mimi uh but also in Brisbane you know it's 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 not a bad thing to have made a connection with that production company yeah. previously. I, do, I I forget this, but I was cast in in the Heights as well. Did you go to the shoot? I don't remember. I was offered a no. I was offered a role in the ensemble. Shut up. And um and then yeah. I was still at uni at the time. Uh, so I mean, and I'm for anyone who doesn't know what I look like, I'm quite white. So this is just you know <laughs> explaining the problem even more so. Um, uh, but yeah, I got offered a role in the ensemble and I was at uni at the time and I had to just really weigh up whether I had the time to commit myself to a non-paid part in that show because the ensemble was not going to be paid, I believe. Um, I hope I've remembered that correctly. If it was not, if it was paid, it was, it was very, very minimal, which I respect because, you know, companies have got to build them. Well, well, no. (laughs) Yeah, no. Anyway, I I, 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 I just... Pay us. I'll stop saying that. Actually. Pay us. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I couldn't yeah. take the job, but, and then all the wow, that had to happen. Oh my god, you must have been like, phew. Yeah, it, uh, I was glad that I, I dodged that bullet a little bit, but I was also glad that I had already been acknowledged by that production company, mm-hmm. and they had seen some value in me. And then I, mm-hmm. similar to you, we both came back in for the rent auditions, and things went well for us. Yes, it went well. It went so well. <laughs> How was that feeling when you landed the role of Mimi? Oh, I love Mimi. Mimi was one of the first shows that I did when I was in London. We did um it was like our end of year showcase. And again, Rent was one of the shows that was stuck in my head. I think as, you know, as 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 a person of colour sometimes when you see yourself reflected in other roles, you're like, oh and in that atmosphere that would that was in that environment that was 10 years ago, which is quite different to what it is now, um, you would hold on to whatever you could. So Mimi was like, Mimi, <laughs> I can do that. That's, that feels good. So, yeah, um, I'd done that in the UK. And when I got it in, in Australia, I was just like, oh, it just meant, it meant the world. Yeah. I think there's something especially fun about playing a character that gets to die every night on stage. Oh, my God, so tragic. <laughs> The tragedy. Oh, I love it. The tragedy. And with talking about that production company, I I also will highlight the fact that with Rent, they took up a residency at a main stage venue, the largest main stage venue in Queensland, and we were paid a very very okay profit share 
uh, from yeah. that pr- production. So, you know, they've made, they've taken a lot of steps and I think they've learned a lot in the process yeah. of, of growing from in, in the Heights. But something I wanted to ask you about, Steph, and actually feel mm. free not to talk about this mm. if you don't mm. want to, but you went through a really hard time at the end mm. of that production. Oh it was horrendous. It was awful. I lost my voice. I lost my voice in the last two days and I had to step out and like absolute hats off to our friend Antonia who stepped in without rehearsals and did it. She did, I think she did three, three of the last shows, which was ridiculous, ridiculous. But yeah, it was, oh God, it was horrible. It was horrible. Especially. It happens. It does happen. And I don't think we talk about how injury and illness can affect us as performers as as much as it does it's not just a matter of losing your voice or injuring a muscle it's you feel because I went through a very different but somewhat similar experience in my first production that I did over here in London I got the flu I got the worst flu of my whole life and I had to um, talk to people and not be in you know part of the production one day and I just I just felt like I'd failed I just all, yeah. all I could see in my mind was that people that, that that was what people were going to remember of me, and it can have a really really damaging effect on your emotional state. Yeah, it was massive. There's not enough people talking about vocal injury as well. There's there's really really not. I lost my voice out of I mean I was taking care of myself. I was being careful, and my voice just went. It, was, it felt completely out of my control. However, sometimes you do feel like the treatment that you get from people around is a little bit judgmental and, you know, like you're doing something wrong. Um, and that has a massive effect. And whether that's the case or whether that's yeah. how you perceive it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it, it doesn't does matter. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but that was really hard. That was really, really, really hard. And after that, I, I yeah. Did you actually injure yourself or was it just fatigue? <laughs> Okay, so after that, I went to get checked and I had the start of nodules, which felt like the end of the world. But also it was a bit of saving grace because it did show me that it wasn't just me being careless and I hadn't taken care of myself. And that's why I'd lost my voice. Apparently, I'd had the start of these nodules for years, but they hadn't picked up on them because they were so small. But what the ENT explained to me at the time is when... When you have an injury on your vocal cords, or when you have an injury anywhere and you've got scar tissue, as soon as your immune system goes down or you're coming on your, so if you're coming on your period, if you're a female or just your immune system's low, your body's going to attack what's weakest. And as vocalists, as, you know, teachers, vocalists, singers, our voice, if you've got scar tissue there, that's going to be your, your weakness. So for me, I remember at the time I was coming on my period as well, so and towards the end of a show. So obviously body just gives up and it just targets what's worse. Anyway, long story short, I went, I got checked and I had these little nodules, which they were like, you can, you're fine. You can carry on performing and it's not going to be an issue. You just have to be extra careful and, you know, just know that you just have to be aware. But I think the trauma of having gone through Losing your voice in a show, having to drop out and the trauma of feeling that your body is unpredictable and that you, you know, you can be doing anything and everything correctly, but 
you know, it just takes one switch for your body to flip on you. I, I couldn't go through that. So I decided to get surgery. And I did. I got oh, surgery. you did get surgery. Yeah, I got the surgery. I think it was a year after I did that production because we gave it some time to see if they were new. So if it was something that had happened in the last year or if it was in that show. So I went through a whole year of, of not really singing much and not auditioning or anything and keeping speaking to a minimum and da 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 and they were still there so they reckon they'd been there for at least five years if not more which is because we need to take breaks and you can't do a contract after a contract after a contract after contract that's that's not a thing and also when you're in rehearsals and they're like sing full out don't sing a full out don't do it anyway that's for another it's it's true you have to be aware of the fragility of your own yeah. voice and how it's coping throughout a process and yeah. and I agree that there's not enough talk about no. vocal injury no. and that there isn't there's a stigma about Horrible. it and you wouldn't do that to um, an athlete you don't do that to an athlete I mean we have articles in the newspaper every other day if not of athletes that are you know have done their knee or anything their shoulder having surgeries these people are still being respected. They're not being punished for their bodies not being perfect. So why are we as vocalists being punished for yeah. our bodies not responding exactly how we would want them to? It's ridiculous. For developing what is basically a, rep- a repetitive stress injury. Yeah, yeah. Because of our work. Yeah. And That's I think I, I definitely give the advice to any performers that use their voice and haven't pursued any sort of vocal um investigation or anything I think it's important to visit a um goodness I can't think of the name of them now who are the would ENT, ENT. Yeah, they do the yeah they scope to just have a look at what is going on in there if if for no other reason yeah. so that you have a picture of what your vocal folds look like when they're healthy so that if you ever have problems in the future you have something to refer to I sometimes forget that I have the pictures of my vocal folds in my rep folder I don't know why they're in there I think I just packed them in there when I left odds but every now and then I rock up to an audition and they flick through and they're like oh, there's a bunch of vaginas here. And I'm like, oh, no, that's a picture of my vocal folds. Yeah. Oh, my God, they look like vaginas, <laughs> don't they? It's little V-shaped oh, God, flaps that vibrate together to make sounds. They really do. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, ultimately, as devastating a process to go through, mm. I can I can imagine, I guess there's a tiny mm. blessing there in that you're now very aware of your vocal folds. and the- I'm hyper aware. I am hyper aware of my voice and any creak or crease or anything, I just go into panic mode and freak out. Yeah, it's it's been an amazing learning experience and it was hard, man, like, especially like, yeah, it was really, really hard. But it, you know, you can get through it and it's, and it's, it's not the worst thing in the world. And you know what's funny with things like this is as soon as you, because it's like you don't, talk, we don't talk about it a lot. As soon as you talk about it with one person, you'd be surprised to see how many people, I would say most of the people I have spoken to about this have been like, me too. Or like, oh yeah, well maybe, da, da, da. It, it's just not, it doesn't feel comfortable enough for people to talk about it. And it's because we're so replaceable. It's because there's so many people out there that can do it. So I think a lot of vocalists can end up getting treated like um, it was like a seasonal work. Replaceable, you know? I think, was the best word that you used there. And I think it's a credit to you that you didn't let that 
beat you down to the point of not continuing work. You did start working again. You ended up migrating down towards the Gold Coast, I saw. Yeah, that was my, and you know what? I'm sorry. They were incredible. They knew I'd gone through surgery. I was completely open. I told them everything. They were so supportive. This is the Pink Flamingo, right? This is uh, the Pink Flamingo, the Pink Flamingo. I'm so annoyed that I have never gone to this. Like, I think they just sort of came into being and it have grown in. Just as I left, I've never gone to this yeah. cool club. It was amazing. It was incredible. It was, it was a place that I felt at home and comfortable and safe to develop my voice again. Because I, I got that contract, I think it was four months after my surgery. So it was quite soon. It was sooner than what I would have wanted. In my head, I was going to do a good eight, nine months of just foundation work. And when I got this job as well, um, they offered it to me. I, I, I sort of kind of rejected it at first. I was like, well, I, just to let you know, I, I just had vocal surgery and, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm ready and da, da, da. And they're like, you know, well, we can do this and that and blah, blah, blah. And they worked with me. There was a saving grace because that voice that that contract just strengthened my voice and it felt it was rehab for me in an amazing show with incredible people with no other vocal vocalist there so I never had the sense of I was always comparing myself to myself you know I I never had to look elsewhere um it was amazing I loved it beautiful perfect perfect grounds to be redeveloping your voice did you find what was the journey in that four months coming out of surgery? Did you completely have oh, no so voice bad. whatsoever when you came out of surgery? When, yeah, well, when you do the surgery, they say that normally you do a week of vo- complete vocal rest, so you don't say a word. But because I was so paranoid and because I was like, I was like, I'm a singer and da da da. Also, my ENT is incredible. If anyone from Brisbane is like worried about their voice, Matthew Broadhurst in Brisbane. That's who I've seen as well. He's fab. He's a fucking superstar. He's amazing. He was like in the team that did Adele as well. So man knows what he's doing. But yeah, so we did three weeks of complete vocal rest, like silence, complete vocal rest. You couldn't, I couldn't say a word. Yeah. So three weeks of not talking at all. And then the first time that I went to ENT after that, and I had to like squeak and nothing would come out. It was like, and that was the scariest thing on the planet. And he was like, it's fine. That's normal. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) but you'd be surprised how quickly it improves after that. Yeah. And it was, yeah, a few months of, of really feeling like I was starting from scratch and retraining myself because I was hyper aware of how I was using my voice and how I should use my voice. Plus I'd say the biggest part of it was that 80, 90% fear, which it it really holds you back a lot you need to you need to trust yourself and that's really hard to do when you when you're recovering from an injury because especially an injury that's taboo because you sort of blame yourself and you you think you've done this to yourself and it's because you you, you're a bad singer you've got bad technique and da 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 that's not true that's not necessarily the case so it's quite hard you have to reset yourself massively to be able to um come back to where you were before and hopefully even better yeah, and you did, and Pink Flamingo down on the I Gold did. Coast provided a place for you to do that. How long did you stay with them? I was with them for like seven months, six, seven months, yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. It's it's just nice to hear that there's yeah. actually 
It's amazing. Full-time or like long-term contracts available for people yeah. now, albeit on the Gold Coast. Yeah. So did you have to relocate for that? Did you have to? I did. Well, yeah, not too much. I I, I was living in the Sunshine Coast with my ex. I, I moved half of the week to Gold Coast. We used to drive back and forth a lot, which is just two hours away. So it was really, it was nice because I had like my my home life and then I had like my show life and yeah. It, it works really well. So I kind of relocated. Nice. Yeah. You've you got to get used to driving around oh, a bit God, in Brisbane. Yeah. I had to get my driving license. That was exciting. Do they drive on the left side of the road in Uruguay? No, was that a foreign thing uh, for you? They drive on the right side. So it was it was weird getting used to it. Also, I'd never driven in the UK. So it was the first time I'd driven. I'd, driv- I'd, driven, I'd driven on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> Oh, good. Developing all these life skills. Oh, my God. Adulting. I, do you know what? If Australia did one thing for me, I, I, I became a, a grown up. That's beautiful. It was amazing for that. That's beautiful. And then, yeah. I mean, you're not there now, obviously. So, what happened no. between, what happens, what happened between then and, and now? So, towards December of that year, towards the end of my contract, I had this first, my voice was back. And I was, I felt confident again and I, I, I felt ready to work and to develop my career. But because of this fright that I'd had with my voice, I, I thought I wanted to focus purely on acting. So I auditioned for um, Howard Fine Acting Studio, which is down in Melbourne. And I got in and I was over the moon. So I, I, I handed in my, my, my notice at the Pink Flamingo, which was really sad, but I knew that it was something that I wanted to push myself towards doing. I wanted to do this this acting course and I moved down to Melbourne. And then coronavirus happened. Surprise. And I lasted a good three, four months. Towards the end as well, um, it was hard with distance in my relationship. And um, it just, it wasn't the relationship for either of us as well so that was was very calmly coming towards an end as was me being in Melbourne because I I I I was in a weird visa status where I wasn't able to get any financial help and there was no work and I was stuck having to pay these student fees and I was away from family and I had been feeling the past few years that I wanted to be close to blood um, that was a big thing. As much as I tried to create my family um, and my life somewhere else, a big thing for me lately has been I, I miss blood and I, I, I want to be near my family. And to me, one of my biggest fears with everything that's been happening with the virus is was to be stuck away from the people that I love. So I, I decided to leave and I, I moved back to London because my dad has since moved from Switzerland to London and I I moved in with him and yeah (laughs) here I am (laughs) oh mate but you know what like you say you felt that yearning for being back with family after a while and I I don't blame you after going through surgery on your on your voice I think probably one of the most traumatic things a singer Mm. could go through and then the end of a relationship and then an attempt at like I think there's there's nothing but good to come from it was one million percent the right thing to do I had been wanting to move back to London pretty much the whole maybe I want to say maybe the last year that I was there year and a half I was I I just wanted to come back I I missed it so much I missed being here and 
for me, this, this really worked out in my favor because it forced me to make that decision, which I knew I wanted to make. It just accelerated the process, which I know that that's what this virus has done for a lot of people. It's also forced me into since the, you know, since having had my surgery and having had, yeah, since having had my surgery in, in the last few years and, and seeing how hard this industry is as well, it has forced me to try and find something else that I can love because I think, or at least I, it's what happened to me. You get to the point where that passion and drive sometimes you need, you need something outside of this amazing life as a performer and this incredible passion and drive. Like you need something else that can fuel that because it gets exhausting also financially it's it's really challenging and when you use your body and your voice as your tool for your work Mm -hmm. uh, it's important to realize that sometimes those tools are not always strong sometimes those tools need a rest and at those times you need to have a well-rounded life to fall back on so that you don't not only lose your work but lose your sense of identity yes I think that is exactly it. And I, I think what the virus as well did and the virus, my surgery the few years before, relocating, feeling, hopping from bit, place to place and trying to find roots. For me, what that what that was, was me trying to find a sense of identity and trying to find myself. And I was trying to find myself through all these exterior labels of I'm going to get this job. I'm going to be this singer. I'm going to be this kind of person. And that was purely what my self-esteem and my myself relied on. And when that's gone, what is there? When I lost my voice, what what was I? Like, who was I? From the age of 14, my voice was everything. It was the only thing I felt comfortable with. It was the only thing I liked about myself, which is so sad. So as soon as that was gone, there was nothing left. I mean, there's a million things there, but I couldn't see it. And I think, and this virus has done the same for so many people because when that's gone, then then who are you? What are you doing? There's so much more to you. There's so many more, there's so many more layers. There's so many more things you can do. Not saying you need to find a new career. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's so much more special and amazing about you outside of your talent your look your whatever there's so much more yeah and you got to find that yeah and you've got to find that lockdown's given us time to think about that that's for sure it's forcing people to do that it's forcing people to do it and it's horrendously painful because there's there's no hiding behind anything you're like a hundred percent raw and you and you you literally can't hold on to anything you're you're just having to face all your demons but it's I mean, if you use this in your favor, it's the strength that will come out and the resilience that comes out of is, it, I yeah. don't think you can find that anywhere else. And I think if uh, I've been asking my guests at the end of interviews what perhaps their little bit of advice or tidbit of wisdom is that they can leave for people. Uh, however, yeah. I think we've just covered it quite clearly in this chat. I think the biggest thing to learn from this chat is to go and get your voice checked out Go and see a specialist, (laughs) just like you would a GP for your body or a therapist for your brain. Go and see a specialist if you are someone who works with their voice so that you know what the hell is going on in there. Even if it's healthy, it's really important to educate yourself on the tool that you use to earn yourself money and don't feel don't and don't blame yourself for it either like your body's on your side when you're when your body is it's desperately telling you to slow down that was what my body was telling me 
it was telling me to stop taking contracts for a bit and to chill out. And I didn't listen to it. But yeah, big lesson to learn, hard lesson to learn. But thank you, Steph. I think it's such an important thing to talk about. I've loved hearing about your journey. If I were to uh, reach into your personal contact book and find someone who I could interview for a podcast, would you recommend anybody? Yes. So I would recommend Jonathan Grant. Um, He did a contract with me on Princess Cruises. He's uh, an American actor. He is one of the most interesting people you will ever talk to also he's done so much but he he won't tell anyone he's done a lot of things he's incredibly talented he's lived in a lot of places he's got good stories he's also creating a a theater company called off-white for um black actors in uh, the uk and he's trying to so he's got a lot to talk about he's he's incredible yeah you should get hands on that wow we will get him on the show. And in the meantime, Steph, it's been an absolute highlight. But you have turned my mood around today, sweet. You, you. you have just been the highlight of my day. So thank you so, so much. And uh, yeah, let's catch up in person soon, shall yeah. we? Let's go and have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, babe. Have a good night. some really big questions left to ponder after that chat, folks. Steffi's ability to reflect and analyse her own experience really challenged my way of thinking about things. Why do we judge and therefore ultimately punish artists when their bodies and their tools simply need some TLC? There shouldn't be shame or guilt layered on any kind of injury management. God knows the artist going through those injuries is experiencing a world of pain and self-doubt in their own head. So really, let's keep that judgment at the door, shall we? There's no doubt that every performer I know is regularly faced with the concept of how replaceable they are, especially when we have government campaigns being shoved in our faces telling us to retrain or just pick a more viable industry to work in. This is our life. This is our livelihood. We are viable. We are the arts. Life would be horrible without creative expression and we deserve to be paid for our work. So stop paying people in experience. Stop discouraging young artists from pursuing their dreams and support the arts. Pay for your media content, attend shows and promote creative projects. Support can cost as little as the click of a button. And if you've listened to my ramblings for this long, then click on over to Instagram and follow me at the.pursuitpod and help me to share this episode with a wider community. You can also follow and support Steffi in her work by checking out her online wellness service over at www.simplywellnesswithsteph.com, where she offers mindfulness and meditation, yoga sessions, personal training and Pilates, all based around her passion for holistic health. And that brings us to the end. So thanks for listening. I'll be back same time next week with another interesting story, this time with an artist living and working in Japan. So come join me then. Much love, everybody. Until next time.